Welcome back to another episode of Party Talk. I'm your host, Jake White. And of course, Party Talk exists to empower leaders in youth drug prevention. I'm so excited that you've made it on this episode because today we're talking with Monique Johnson. She does tobacco policy in the state of Florida. She's also a health educator and she works with youth. So enjoy this episode of Party hey Talk. Is, are, are you finding there's a lot of, of youth and adults that are are using tobacco products in, in Florida and like what kind of products are most popular? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you saw, but I know like the American Lung Association, they just put out their um their state of like lung health, so to speak, their grades. Um, so Florida scored an F and I think it was like a few other states as far as tobacco control goes. Um, so I have not personally look on a day-to-day basis. I don't really see it as prevalent, but when we look at the data for the state, it is, it's really high. And especially when we talk about youth tobacco use. Um, and so particularly like in the county where I serve, our numbers are about like 68% for like youth that have ever tried like vaping, any type of tobacco product. So really higher than the state average. And I think you'll find that maybe in more like uh, rural parts that the numbers might be a lot higher or, or high metropolitan areas naturally. Um, but yeah, it's it, not so much maybe the norm. We have a lot of beaches here. Um, so with that, a lot of people do not like, you know, tobacco litter and things like that on the ground being a beach state. So we don't really find that a lot, like in our, our beaches community. So it's not so much like the norm or, or necessarily like, uh, a cool thing to do, so to speak that, that I have seen. Okay. So yeah, not like a culturally accepted thing, but it is very, very prevalent. Okay. Wow. Interesting. And then. If, if we dive into the cessation part is, and I have, I have no background in that. Uh, I'm in the prevention side of things, like I said, with school assemblies and prevention curriculum and peer led programming. But so I'm actually interested in learning, like what goes into a person having an addiction to nicotine and tobacco products and how, how you could possibly, you know, go from that to not needing that, that thing anymore. Oh my goodness. Uh, a lot of things going to like the, why you use tobacco. So um, the curriculum that I use, it, it is evidence-based. And so let's say it, it's in a group setting. So we may have, I don't know, hypothetical, maybe about five people, five adults that have used tobacco, they're wanting to quit. So the curriculum is based on like them them developing a plan, a step plan. Um, so they go through the steps. Um, they first review like why they want to quit. Like what is like your reason why you want to quit? Um, what do you have to live for? Things like that. And one of the common things I saw with that is that people want, they're like, I want to live. They're like, I want to live longer. So when I think about just that in itself, I'm like, okay, you want to live longer and then you're doing something that you know could, you know, it's shortening your life. So then the curriculum dives into um, the chemical makeup of nicotine in itself. Like, why is it so highly addictive? And just kind of helps them to understand and break that stigma of like, 
it's me. It's something we're all at me. I, I want to quit. I, I can't. And there's something wrong. And it's like, no, like it's the nicotine that, that your body, that your brain has become so used to. And so we move out of that. And then we go into, they actually do like an assessment to help them understand why they, why they use it. Is it for stimu- uh, is it to stimulate you? Is it for relaxation? Um, are you doing it for pleasure? Is it out of habit? Is it for craving? So once people understand the why, it helps them to find like different techniques that they can use to kind of combat that. So one of the most popular whys is pleasure. Like a lot of people say that, you know, like I I do want to quit, but I enjoy doing it. So it's like, okay, so what can we do to replace that? Like we, you're using maybe tobacco as like a reward system. So it's like, oh, I've cleaned the house. And now, you know, I'm going to use tobacco. So it's like, okay, so what can we replace that with? Helping them understand how much money they're spending per year. And then taking that and say, okay, if we were to do this on like a week by week basis or even day by day, what can we use that money on? And they're sitting there and they will come up with, they're like, oh my gosh, I could catch up on bills. I could go on a trip. Like I could go on a cruise, all this kind of thing. I'm like, yes, exactly. I'm like, so we're thinking of major things. I'm like, but let's bring it down to something small. Let's bring it down to like, maybe you want like a steak dinner or something like that. Like take that maybe $25, $30 a week. And maybe on Friday or Saturday, treat yourself. Like take yourself out and stuff. So yeah, so it's, it's a whole lot of things that, that, um, that go into it. I do the curriculum at uh, mental health um, sites, behavioral health sites, substance abuse facilities. Um, and it's just because that a lot of people who suffer from those those types of things, they have a higher use in tobacco and everything. So it really helps them to understand that why, because it, it kind of flows into their other addictions that they might have. Okay. That's fascinating. And what you had said too, that really struck a chord with me, especially working with youth, is that when you're building that reward system, like, oh, we, we enjoy it. And so it's releasing dopamine and, you know, these endorphins in their brain and they get that, that stimulant. And so you're asking them to develop a short-term stimulant because yes, it might take a year to save enough for a cruise, but let's say you do great this week. You're going to get to go have that steak dinner or whatever it is they said they want. Maybe that pair of shoes or, you know, I'm, I'm imagining this from a youth perspective. It's yes. It's cool that you've shortened the time frame to say, hey, one step at a time. Okay. Cause you know, a year is a long time to plan for. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's give you a reward quicker than that. Uh, that is, that is so cool. I want to ask you a little bit about uh, like, so let's say someone says I use for stress. And that's what we're seeing a lot with young people today is they have this feeling of anxiety and stress. And how would you do that same thing um, with having another outlet? So what are a few outlets you might recommend besides smoking uh, or using tobacco products that people can do to help relieve stress? So stress is like the number one reason why, why people use tobacco. And we help them identify that. And it's a common theme that I've heard, like you said, among the youth um, coming out of the pandemic. Uh, I, I think just mental health, the um, the prevalence of it, so to speak, or just like people knowing about it now, it, it's, it's become less stigmatized and you have such a high focus on it now because 
the reality is it just kind of brought it to the surface after the pandemic. Like, wow, like people are really out here <laughs> struggling and, su and, and suffering from things. And so the youth have been highly affected by that and they're using it for stress. And so with the teachings that I do, um, there is techniques, mental stress reducers. So that would be like uh, like mindfulness and uh, breathing techniques, things of that nature. And then there's a physical ones. So it's more about like getting active. And I always get like, eyebrows always raise when I say that because people always think like, oh wait, you want me to go for like a 5 a.m. jog or like get, I'm like, no, no, no. I'm like, but it, if you, I'm like, if you get active and for youth, like it doesn't hit if you go outside, maybe because you could be like home, maybe on your game that might stress you or on the phone with a friend, they might be stressing you. So it's kind of like identifying those areas of when you may vape or when you may smoke more, like helping to helping them identify what it is, that pattern with it. And I'm like, in nine times out of 10, you'll find whatever that stressor is to that. And then, so now we just have to like, maybe if we can't remove that stressor. So if it's stress at home and you're on the phone with a friend or something like distressing you, just getting outside, just 10 to 15 minutes of like physical activity, that's gonna produce those same like dopamine chemicals and endorphins that you get. It's gonna get that, that same feeling that you get from the nicotine use. Um, so that's the major one with the physical stress reducers. But I always like to ask them like, you know, okay, so everyone experiences stress. What do you typically do when you, when you're at, when you're stressed? What, what is something that you reach for other than the nicotine? <laughs> what is something that you reach for? And most of the time they, they find that. And the number one thing I have heard, Jake, I kid you not. The number one thing, whenever I ask that question, what do you do that de-stresses you? It's always, I go for a walk. No, I, I, I go for a walk. I have not heard anything. I might get different answers later on, but the number one thing that they will say is, I go for a walk. And I'm like, okay. So it's something to that physical activity, you know, getting outside, getting fresh air, maybe it just helps to just even delay it. Like, oh, I... I really want to like reach for my beat right now. I really want to reach for a cigarette right now or, or whatever it is, but I'm going to go outside. I'm going to go for a walk and I'm going to delay that, you know? So it is, it's, it's allowing that delay for that crave in the past. Cause it only lasts like five minutes. Yeah. So if they can kind of delay it, you know, it'll help them. Okay, cool. And I'm going to point out something you said too, is you mentioned with uh, creating stress and waking up in the morning, and maybe you're playing that video game, maybe you're using your phone and you're you're probably also talking about throughout the curriculum is your environment. And so giving students, and this one I highlight for the audience, if you're listening to this and you're thinking how you might implement these things or help people create better habits is if you're waking up every morning and instantly going to your phone, instantly that stress or that anxiety you felt when you put it down that night, whether you're logging on the social media, checking your emails, it's that relationship. You're getting a text back from that. And if it's not good, yes, of course you're going to use because you're starting your day off with that stress. And so now you've either got to use or, or choose a healthier alternative. And so, like you said, making that morning routine, something great, getting up and moving, getting out in the sunshine, uh, like redefining your environment and how you build it. 
is even as someone who doesn't smoke, I'm like, there are certain things I want to stop doing though anyway in the mornings because I just want to feel better throughout the day. And one of those has been like, okay, my phone goes on the dresser away from the bed. So I have to actually get up out of bed to turn off the alarm. And then I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to get outside and, you know, work out, do those kind of things. Cause then, yeah, the rest of the day feels great. Feels so, so good. <laughs> that That's really interesting that you said that about uh, putting, putting it out of reach, because that's something I like to say too, especially for my, my early risers that they may, um, you know, they may use nicotine to kind of help them wake up because I, I find out like with a, a lot of youth and adults, they're like, oh, like first thing in the morning, I have to do it. And I'm like, where do you normally keep it? And majority of them have it right there. Like where we keep our phone right there on our nightstand, right by our bed. So it's like the, you reach over, you grab it. I'm like, okay, so now we have to make it a little bit inconvenient for you. I'm like, even if, like you said, move it to a dresser. I tell them like, hey, if you're like a coffee person in the morning or whatever, you you going in your kitchen to make your coffee. I'm like, so put it maybe on top of the refrigerator, but make it to where it's not convenient. And just maybe like psychologically, you will allow that process to take place where you're like, Oh, I don't know. It's, it's four in the morning. Do I really want to like get up and, and get out of bed and go walk into the kitchen right now? And I'm like, you may be surprised. You may actually like kind of force yourself to to the delay it. Yeah. So that's interesting that you said that. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I love this conversation, by the way. It's it is so interesting to me. Uh, I do want to move to a little bit more. Um, so I'm I'm creeping on your LinkedIn, right? And I'm looking at, uh, in 2012, you created a mentorship program for at-risk youth and served on the board of communications for young professionals. Can you tell me more, just anything you wanted to share about that and maybe what you learned or are proud of? Sure. So with the mentorship program, um, that was birthed out of me. I I was an at-risk youth. Um, myself, uh, my son that I mentioned earlier that will be 23 this year. I, I had him when I was 15. Um, so I was a teen mom. Um, I went to college with my son and everything. So um, that was really from a place of just recognizing the need um, for positive mentorship. I didn't have that growing up. Not to say that I, that I lacked positive influences, that was around me or anything like that, but I didn't have someone that had been through what I was going through at the time. So I didn't have anyone relatable or that could say, hey, I've been where you're at. Like, I I know what you're going through. Uh, Or to just recognize maybe the signs of it and like I could maybe see the path that you're starting to go down. So let me kind of talk to you and see what's going on, you know? And so that was birthed out of that. And it actually started in my ministry um, that, that I was a part of, and it started there with just a few of the girls that were in the church and everything. And we would go out, we volunteer at a women's center. Um, so there was a shelter for survivors of domestic abuse and they needed some sprucing up in a place. So we went and we washed, uh, baseboards and we washed the windows and everything. And we helped restock everything and make beds and, that was really just a, it was like team building, but also it was to give the youth 
another outlook and to show them like, hey, like it's people out here that are hurting and, and you can use your skills to help them. Um, so we would do little things like that. And um, I also would go out to the schools and I would speak to students that they were like having a lot of difficulty with. Um, so young students who may have like a lot of absences from school or weren't doing so well. And I was really surprised because at the time, I mean, I didn't have any certifications in anything, but they were like, hey, like they're, we, we see your passion and they're like, we're willing to like let you talk to them. So um, I would talk and I developed some relationships with some of, some of the students there. Um, and it, it was just, it was heartwarming to do that. And with the communications director, that was actually through um, a company I was with, Florida Blue. So I was with Florida Blue and one of their employee resource groups was um, Young Professional Building. So I was the communications director for that and um, sending out email correspondence, trying to, you know, recruit like any young professionals to the group and everything like that. Uh, we were paired with a lot of C-suite level employees for mentorship and things like that. So it was just to kind of help those like that 20 to 30 range kind of like help develop like those professional skills and things. So yeah, those are like two really things that I, I did that when I was really young and I'm like super proud of it. It really did lay the foundation for like the rest of, of my career. Wow. That, that is really powerful. And I mean, I'm just imagining you, you know, with a handful of teenagers going into the center and working and bonding and making a difference. And I bet you made a difference in their life and they probably still look up to you and see what awesome stuff you're doing, you know, that's very cool. But let's, I want to know, so today you're doing a lot with tobacco cessation and tobacco policy. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the policy side of things and uh, yeah, anything. Yeah, no, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was really like you, I, I can't, I, I guess the opposite of you, because like you said, you were like, you were more on the prevention side. You don't really know the cessation. And, and as for me, I was more on the cessation side and I did not do the prevention. end. so I kind of did like a switch. So I was in tobacco cessation for about three years and then for the last two years I I've been on the prevention side so it's been it's been a very interesting to see how much policy change really goes into the prevention side of it so one of the policy changes is like um k-12 policies so develop like comprehensive tobacco-free policies for the school so me I just you know I just I, I have seven children like I told you and Six of them are still in public schools. So I just naturally thought that, oh, well, all schools have a tobacco policy. Like students can't like vape in class. I know that. And, and that's true. Like most schools, they do have that in the student code of conduct here in the district I live in. They have it there. But what we were finding is that there are a lot of schools that do not have like a standalone policy that kind of defines tobacco use and, and vaping um, that has set hours like you cannot be on school grounds from this time to this time or a policy that prohibits it from staff and visitors too. So it was really interesting to see that because I just thought it would just be there, but it hasn't been. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's been really interesting to to work on. <laughs> that, okay, I'm intrigued because I never, I just thought 
you of right like you said of course you can't bring smoking paraphernalia on campus but again never thought about guests or policies or hours and i'm curious is it as simple as going to the school board and saying hey can we make this a policy and here's the rough draft or who do you have to get involved to make this a thing and enforce it yeah so the school board ultimately would have to vote on it so but i'm like you it 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 seems like it's, it's such a like simple thing. It's like, yeah, of course, we don't want parents coming, picking up their kids and like, you know, having a vape right there and using a vape as they're walking into the doors of the school. And, and it seems so simple. But when you really get into um, the notes and bolts of it, it's like a lot of working pieces. So like I work a lot with like people with student uh, climate, like code of conduct and climate like the mental health services piece of it. And so kind of like working with that district level that serves like the different parts of it, like working with them and presenting like a model policy to them. Like, hey, this is what we have, but this is what we could have that is really more comprehensive and it really breaks it down and it's really more understandable and it protects not only the students, but it protects the staff it protects the visitors and everything like that. And it covers school grounds. And when we have events that may not be technically on school grounds, but it's a school event, like at a park or somewhere. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Wow. There is there is so much that I have not thought of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's a lot of what you're doing now is helping schools develop those things. Yes. Yes. So that's one of the major things that um, I'm working on. And also, um, our governor here, he he signed a bill back in July that gives power to counties, municipalities to prohibit um, smoking on uh, parks and beaches in Florida. So that was great. That was amazing. And so um, a lot of us just at the county level have been working with our parks and the people who are at the beaches and stuff and just kind of working with the decision makers on creating an ordinance if one does not exist and just getting them to sign that in. So that way it protects the health of people that, you know, frequent the parks, frequent the beach. I mean, tobacco litter is, you may already know this, but yeah, like cigarette butts are like the most common form of litter on uh, beaches and parks and stuff. So it really just protects us. And in doing that, I've learned that even vape litter it's dangerous too because you have those toxins that come off those heated metals and stuff. And they have a little kid that may be on the playground, they pick it up, it gets on their hands. Little kids put their hands in their mouth. And yeah. you think about like the secondhand smoke, right? It kills like 41,000 people per year. So it's like, yeah, that's a lot of people that die just from being exposed to it. So that's a major one. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's counties and, and, and parks and stuff who've just been passing it like lightning and it's just amazing because i'm like okay this is one step closer to just creating just such a healthier space for people in florida yeah yeah and are people pretty receptive to you when you're going to do this or is there any departments like i'm imagining the park people or uh maybe law enforcement are they saying hey listen you're really making my job harder um and they, they make you jump through some hoops to get this done? Or did it does it feel like they're partners with you saying, oh, yes, of course, 
Um, what can we do? How does that relationship go? Are there any challenges you've had to overcome to make those partnerships work? Yeah, I, for the most part, everyone has been pretty much on board. Um, here, here in my county, our uh, Parks and Rec director, he has truly been a champion for us with, you know, getting like county commissioners and educating them about it. And really the the main goal and like my role, my day-to-day role is to educate my community partners. So those who may not, their organizations may not do anything in the realm of tobacco prevention, control, anything like that, but they come to monthly meetings that I have and I talk about these things. I'll tell you, hey, tobacco-free parks, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that why we need them, why is it needed, and educating them. That way they can go out and they can have these conversations with the decision makers like, yeah, you know, we talked about this and let's talk about how we can make our parts healthier and things like that. So I have not met any type of resistance. And I think that's because a a lot of um, our community is super heavily focused in just prevention work. And we recognize the need for it, recognize that our numbers are a lot higher than what we would like them to be. And so it's kind of like, okay, how can we, what can we do to help money? Like what needs to be done? Um, so I haven't really faced like any type of hurdles. Maybe the biggest hurdle is just, you know, just making sure that you educate people about it enough. Cause I think people know like the surface, like tobacco is bad, you know, like, yeah, tobacco use is bad. Nicotine is addictive. But when you really like going to it and you educate them, people don't know, like, secondhand vape is a thing they're like oh wait that can that's dangerous too so i've been just amazed at at the amount of things that people just don't know wow yeah this is kind of cool honestly i could probably talk to you all day so (laughs) we will probably i'm going to ask you to do another episode at some point i think (laughs) okay Uh, monique this was absolutely incredible um i appreciate you giving me some of your time and being so generous with your projects and what you're doing And I think the real highlight we're going to gain from this is talking about the cessation movement, uh, the things that our students are saying, and then what's helping them within the curriculum you described. Just in case someone asked, is the curriculum that you have, does it have a name? Um, Oh, gosh, what is the name of it? (laughs) I'm sorry, it literally just got, it, it just got approved and I just got an email saying to do it. So I don't, I do not have the name. I know it is, I know it's in Florida and it should be in other states too. Okay. I'll, I'll, email, I'll, I'll email, email you, Jake. Yeah. Yes. I will, I will email you because we, we really need it. We didn't always have a curriculum for you. And so it was kind of like, we got a lot of prevention. The prevention side is covered. Like we could tell them, you know, but once they actually get addicted to it, what do we do then? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we're kind of like in like we got a curriculum, but we're like in that piloting stage. And I'm just I, I, I'm I'm excited to see what happens with it. Yeah, that is so exciting. On the cutting edge. Yes. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Very cool. Well, thank you so much, Monique. This was amazing. And for all of you listening to the Party Talk podcast, I hope that you felt empowered and that you get to become a better leader in youth drug prevention because of the conversation here today. So we'll see you next Monday for another episode.